Somebody play cartels. Cartels.
Chakshun Militam Dana Tasmashi Gavinamaha 
Sri Chaitanya Manupistam Sabinam Yenumutale Swayam Upakaramayam Nanati Swabadantikam Namam Vishnabada Kishabasa Vutale Shimate Bhaktivedanta Swaminiti Namine Namaste Saswati Deve Govani Pachayne Nivishisha Shunivari Pashatari Shatarine Vanchakapa Tuvasa Kripas in Ubiavata Patitanam Pavanebio Vaishnavibio Namunava Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Pavunityananda Shri Advaita Gadara Shri Vasadi Govaktamanda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ramo Hare Ramo 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 Hare Hare So first of all, thank you very much for allowing me to share to share a few thoughts and realizations on the special day of Ram Nomi. So this is my first visit to Dallas and it's a great honor for me. Dallas Temple is very well known, if not to say famous. It's one of Prabhupada's first temples where he um, gave also so many instructions in regards to Gurukul. I guess that's <laughs> what Dallas is famous for, isn't it? <laughs> so it is very nice for me to visit uh, such a place. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So since it is Ram Nomi, we are not doing the, the regular verse, but I chose one verse in connection with uh, Lord Ramchandra's pastimes. So that's ninth Kento, 11th chapter, verse number 23. And it is towards the end type thing. So the chapter is called Lord Ramchandra Rules the World. Purusho Ramacharitam Purusho Ramacharitam Shavane Upadarayan Ah, okay, no. Nine eleven. Okay, good. Shavanaya Upadarayan Anrisam Syaparurajan Anrisam Syaparurajan Kamabandir Vimuchate Kamabandir Vimuchate Purusho Ramacharitam Shavane Upadarayan Anrishamsya Parurajan Kamabandevi Muchete 
ladies. Purusha, any person, Ramacharitam, the narration concerning the activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Ramchandra, Shavanai, by oral reception, Upadarayan, Simply by this process of hearing. Anrishamsya para becomes completely free from envy. Rajan, O King Pariket, Kamabandai, by the bondage of fruitive activities. Vimuchate, one becomes liberated. Translation by Shilapopa. O King Parikat, anyone who orally receives the narrations concerning the characteristics of Lord Ramchandra's pastimes will ultimately be freed from the disease of envy and thus be liberated from the bondage of fruitive activities. And purport by Srila Here in this material world, everyone is envious of someone else. Even in religious life, it is sometimes found that if one devotee has advanced in spiritual activities, other devotees are envious of him. Such envious devotees are not completely freed from the bondage of birth and death. As long as one is not completely freed from the cause of birth and death, one cannot enter the Sanatan Dharma or the eternal pastimes of the Lord. One becomes envious because of being influenced by the designations of the body. But the liberated devotee has nothing to do with the body and therefore he is completely on the transcendental platform. A devotee is never envious of anyone, even his enemy, because the devotee knows that the Lord is his supreme protector. He thinks, what harm can the so-called enemy do? Thus a devotee is confident about his protection. The Lord says, According to the proportion of one's surrender unto me, I respond accordingly. A devotee must therefore be completely free from envy, especially of other devotees. 
To envy other devotees is a great offense, a Vaishnav Aparad. A devotee who constantly engages in hearing and chanting Shravanam Kirtana is certainly freed from the disease of envy, and thus he becomes eligible to go back home, back to Godhead. Yes, so as we know, the Lord appears in so many forms, usually, you know, the main purposes are to kill the demons, to give pleasure to the devotees. He performs so many wonderful pastimes. So many instructions are there, especially Lord Ram. You know, so many intricate aspects are there. You probably know them better than I do. <laughs> In India, people grow up with... Um, Ram uh, Leela from small age onwards and it's interesting to see because Lord Ram Chandra's pastimes are actually more human-like that's why people identify more and they're in one sense much more popular in India than Krishna's pastimes because Krishna uh, Leela is more superhuman you know and therefore people don't so easily identify. I remember I used to go very regularly also to Nepal, and whenever Ram Ram Leela was on TV, I mean, you, you could just uh, close all other programs. I remember it was Sunday mornings, Ram Leela was on TV, was not possible to have a Bhagavatam class in the temple. Everybody was so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, so glued on the television watching Ramayan, you know, that you could not have a normal morning program. So that's how, um, yeah, how people are sold out and so fascinated by Lord Ram's pastimes. <laughs> and yes, because, um, you know, the Lord comes as the ideal king and there's so many personalities there. Um, and the, the, basically we can say the whole topic of the demoniac in battle with the divine is really accompanying us through, through the whole Bhagavatam. It's always that struggle, that battle, and of course we all internally have that battle, as Prabhupada is explaining. Um, envy is like really the battle we are um, facing. And, yeah, so we can say, especially in Ram Chandra's pastimes, there is, you know, this mood of sacrifice and an entire selfless devotion for higher purpose there, to serve higher principles, versa envy demoniac desires to be supreme controller, to enjoy evil selfishness. I mean, that those two elements are just so strongly throughout the whole uh, Ram Leela, we can find this. And definitely, as Prabhupada is also um, relating, you know, the selfishness and envy, especially in this modern world, is actually always increasing. It's taking very drastic forms. People are willing to do anything, 
you know, just to satisfy self-interest. And they're willing to ruin relationships within family, within communities, internationally. This is going on on all, all levels, really. And yes, and we get reactions for that in, in the form of so much pain and loneliness and the envy is, oh, it is increasing, increasing. I think that we can truly say it's part of Kali Yuga, really. And, um, yeah, so we have to basically, the theme is that in order to have more satisfying relationships, which the soul is hankering for, ultimately, of course, with the Supreme Lord, but not only with the Supreme Lord, but with his associates also. So the soul is is hankering, longing for this uh, harmonious, perfect relationships, really. So in order to uh, cultivate that, we have to really make the shift from I to we, right? And that requires a willingness to sacrifice one's personal considerations for the benefit of us as a team with the Lord in the center. That's the situation in this built world, Goloka Vindavan or Vaikuntha planets, wherever we may want to go. So that's, that's the spirit. There is an unlimited number of living entities, you know, a huge community of all kinds of living entities and all kinds of different species of life. Even the blade of grass is fully conscious and is simply waiting for that amazing opportunity to serve the Lord and, and, and. So and all living entities are in perfect harmony because the Lord is the center. His pleasure is the center. So if we really want to go there one day, and I assume we all do want to, <laughs> we have to, yes, cultivate that mood really, that, that atmosphere, you know, and I guess that's one purpose of a temple and a community to create this Vaikuntha atmosphere where we all put our selfish desires on the, on the back burner. We sacrifice them for the sake of making the most pleasing arrangements for the Lord. So, and yes, I mean, we can say even in sports, you know, like cricket or football or something, this element, this spirit is there because a good team player is one who sacrifices his own success in glory for the sake of the victory for the, of the team, right? That is, you know, one little, if not maybe the only little <laughs> beneficial part <laughs> of such kind of sports. <laughs> so, you know, in a, in a, a sports team, everybody knows each other's strengths and, and plays the ball to each other, right? And that's basically also um, what we devotees have to learn, actually, you know, to really uh, function as a well-tuned team with 
Krishna's pleasure in the center. So, you know, Ram's, Lord Ram's pastimes, they do give that inspiration, uh, you know, because there's so many personalities there who embody that very spirit of self-sacrifice for the Lord's satisfaction very strongly. And they're also uh, human-like that people really, it really touches their heart and they really... Um, yeah, they're moved and they identify with different personalities because it's all so tragic and and so on. So yeah, in this way, throughout Lord Ram's pastimes, we can find this theme of the fight between the heroic, selfless um, nature and the cruel and tragic selfishness. Right? And that accompanies us basically throughout the whole um, Leela and the center is is the Lord right yeah so as we all know Lord Ramchandra he appeared in Ayodhya and his father was Dasarath and he had two uh, three wives Koshalya, Kaikei and Sumitra and four sons and Lord Ram was the oldest, right? So, and as the culture, especially in those days, was very strongly there, that actually when a person is at a certain age, he should retire. This is one thing which is kind of getting a little lost and forgotten these days <laughs> in, in the political fields as well as well, even in our lives also, you know, sometimes we, we hear in the news of some president somewhere who's 80 and, you know, and you wonder, oh my God, you know, how, how is it that people don't get the idea to retire and, and delegate and pass on to the next generation and let them take things further? So, but in those days, you know, uh, Dasarath very uh, clearly understood this. So he wanted to retire and enthrone his his son, Ramchandra. And everybody was in such jubilation and preparing for the coronation. So, and then the amazing thing, which I find really amazing, actually, is that Kaiki's maidservant, she was the one who actually started the whole problem. You know, she sowed that evil seed in in her heart by getting into her ear. Pajalpa, you know, politics coming from an you know insignificant woman actually, you know, who is not even prominent with big influence or something. But a maid servant, you know. I mean, I find this really actually noteworthy. And for me, you know, Kaiki's maid servant, she's, she personifies Pajalpa. And I mean, let's be honest, we women are pretty good at it. <laughs> you know, there is this, um, saying, you know, tell a woman, you know, like telephone, tell a woman. <laughs> anyway, um, 
Yeah, so she she got into her ear and gave her this idea that actually not Lord Ram should be coronated, but instead her son brought her. I mean, that's how it all started, you know? That just shows how poisonous this pajalpa is. Yes, yes. And Kaikei, she fell victim to this envious talk. You know, her consciousness got contaminated. Of course, we can say this is for the sake of the pastime going on or something. But nevertheless, I mean, I find this really um, very noteworthy. And it clearly shows how how this envious talk creates so much havoc, so much destruction, so much suffering on all different levels, you know, so much so that even Dasarath, her, her own husband, was completely pained and, and actually gave up his life, you know. Yeah, so that's just the, the power of envious talk, of envious pujalpa. Yes. And I mean, Srila Prabhupada was always giving us also this instruction that the real danger for ISKCON is not coming from outside, but it is coming from within, through all this talk. And I mean, definitely, you know, in the modern days, this is a very strong factor which is going on, all this nonsense talk and all the social media and, and Facebook and all that, they're really facilitating all this pujalpa like anything, like anything. So Prabhupada warned us very strongly. There is some pastime in Australia which Koma Prabhu is very nicely uh, sharing in his book, The Transcendental Adventure, Prabhupada's Pastimes in Australia, where Prabhupada's disciple Upendra, he just came back from India, and as usual, you know, usually there's all this talk, oh, how was it, this, that, sharing the latest news, and Upendra was Prabhupada's cook, so this whole talk was going on in the kitchen, and Prabhupada was next in the next room hearing it, all this talk about this person, that person, the other person, oh, did you hear, and the latest news. And Prabhupada got so furious, he called Upendra in the room and asked, well, what are you doing? You talking Pajalpa? And Upendra asked, is talking about other devotees Pajalpa? And Prabhupada says, yes, you know, this devotee, that devotee, this is nonsense, you know, don't waste your time. You know, life is short. If two devotees meet, they should talk about Krishna consciousness. They should discuss verses. All this talk, this devotee, that devotee, it's Pajalpa. And then Prabhupada was saying, this Pajalpa will ruin our movement. That's what Prabhupada said. It will destroy our movement. And then there's also this famous story. I don't even know where it happened, somewhere in America, when the telex machines came out new, you know, and Prabhupada were, uh, and his disciples were demonstrating to Prabhupada the telex machine, or oh, the latest 
uh, technology and immediately we can communicate from one end of the world to the other and maybe every temple should have such a telex machine but Prabhupada was not into it you know he said no definitely not then you will talk for Jalpa all over the world that was Prabhupada's comment you know Without telex machine, at least the job is localized. How, how far can you uh, be heard? But with telex, it goes all over the world. So Prabhupada was very strong on this, you know, and also in regards to Kaiki's maidservant. Um, I mean, actually, it is Vaishnav etiquette that we should not get involved in discussions on higher levels. It's none of our business. So whenever there is some, um, you know, disagreement on higher levels, we should not take sides. We should not get involved. We should not pass judgments. No, no. We should not. This is a very... Strict rule of Vaishnav etiquette, actually. But my God, we are doing it all the time. You know? Things are going on on higher levels. And we discuss and take sides who is right, who is wrong, and pass judgments, and, and, and. But this is completely against Vaishnav etiquette. And guaranteed, we commit offense. Vaishnava Bharat. You know? Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, what's Kaike's maidservants, what, what's her business there to get involved? Who's going to be uh, coronated, actually? You know? It's none of her business. Who is she to, to have any opinion about it? Eh? Yes, who is she? Who is she? You know? But so that, I mean, for me, this is one of the main things I like to uh, take with me and remember, you know, the, the main instruction, how poisonous this envious talk and judgments and pajalpa is, you know, what what comes out of all that? So destructive, my God, you know, and it leads to another thing and another thing and another thing and, 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 and my God, yes. Yeah, so, and uh, really, I mean, when when Kaike presented this to Dathurath, you know, he was completely pained. He fainted, you know, and, but his his glory was that he was sticking to his promise. You know, he had promised his wife some benediction and, well, there was no question of him not fulfilling his promise. This is another very, very important element, actually, of of Vaishnav uh, uh, mood, you know, that once we say something, we give our word, we are meant to stick to it, by hook or by crook, right? And I mean, uh, Dasarath really personifies and embodies that, and also we have a similar, um, you know, aspect there in, in Bali Marge. 
when he promises his three steps of land, you know, he also had that mood of sticking to his promise. There's no question. This is what it means to be truthful. How can I say one thing and then, oh, no, sorry, I changed my mind. You know, things are different than I thought it would be. You know, Bali Maharaj could have very easily said that, oh, these three steps of land, they somehow turned out differently than I expected. And, oh, sorry, I changed my mind or something. But no, no. That's the Vaishnav mood. That once we, we say something, we give our word to something, doesn't matter what it may be, whether it's our marriage vows or our initiation vows or just some more daily thing of, yes, I will do the service. You know, once, once we give our word to anything, that's the Vaishnav mood. We, we are willing, we should be willing to really sacrifice our personal interest and our convenience for the sake of sticking to our word. Yes, I mean, my God, you know, but unfortunately, you know, we, we rarely find this quality in, in our hearts, really, you know. Our main consideration is always, oh, what, what, what suits me, you know? And then, oh, if it doesn't suit me, oh, sorry, you know, can't do it anymore. Changed my mind. Circumstances have changed. And we think that gives us a right not to stick to our word. You know, but Vaishnav mood uh, is a different one that we really, we, we, we stick to our promise. We walk our talk and, and you know, we don't say one thing and then do the other thing and 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 no, there has to be that commitment there, and that that deeper level of truthfulness. You know, I mean, Bali Maharaj talks about this in his uh, pastime, where he says, "I mean, how how can I not fulfill my promise? I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. You know, no question of that. No question. And all right, third step, put it on my head. If there's no other place for that here, my head." So that that should actually be the mood in our uh, spiritual practice, you know. That as soon as we say one thing, we have to stick to it, and we have to make that commitment and take it uh, seriously. So, and then also, Lord Ram, how he reacts, you know, is also very amazing and outstanding because he immediately accepts the order of his father. Okay, go to the forest. No problem. You know, there's no fighting for for justice. He doesn't defend, you know. I like the topic of false ego. The other morning when I gave a Bhagavatam class, we were talking about this, that actually Vaishnav mood is not to defend oneself. We are meant to defend others. That's also another important Vaishnav etiquette, rule of Vaishnav etiquette, where he should not defend himself. We should defend others, but not oneself. So and usually we do the opposite. We defend ourselves, but when we see others in, in a 
you know, difficult situation where they are maybe unfairly treated. No, we don't step in. We don't open our mouth. Or maybe it will not good, be good for my relationships or something. We don't want to stick out our neck and pr protect and defend that devotee. But no, we should do the other way around. Not defend ourselves, but defend others. So Lord Ram also sets that perfect example. He's not defending. You know, even though people advised him, they said, oh, you know, this is not fair, it's unjust. You should say something about this, do something about this. But no, he doesn't. He doesn't, you know, fight for his own interest there, but he just... Um, you know, he accepts to, to preserve the honor of his father. You know, for that he sacrifices his personal interest just for the sake of serving that higher principle of father's honor, father's position, father's instruction, superior. You know, yes. And he shows how how renunciation is such an opulence, you know, that he just gives up his kingdom, goes to the austere forest life, leaves everything behind, and and even though everybody in Ayodhya loved him and he, they all wanted to see him as the king, and 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 uh, such noble character, right? Such such noble behavior, really, you know. Yes, so I mean, this whole uh, Leela is such a, um, you know, shows really so nicely how how destructive this envy is, you know. So, and then Lakshman also, you know, demonstrates how he sacrifices his personal advantage. He goes with his, with his elder brother standing by his side during his crisis type thing, you know, so he also shows that. And of course, Sita, example of ideal wife, that she follows the husband in any condition, like wife being the shadow, the better half of the husband, always behind him, you know. Not only when he is rich and glorious, but also when there's infamy, poverty, and, 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 you know, also very, very noble example, right? And also Bart, you know, how he refuses to actually be king in Lord Ram's absence, you know, perfect example that he's not in this, um, competitive mood, thinking, oh, Jai, you know, he's in the forest, so fantastic. So now it's my turn. But no, you know, he sacrifices his personal ambitions, no rivalry there, you know, and he simply rules on behalf of Lord Ram. But he lives like a hermit. He doesn't accept any of the royal opulence and, and, and. I mean, my God, you know. Where, where, where would we be able to find such a person, you know, such a character, you know? Yes. Yes. And of course also Lord Ram not only, uh, illustrating the, the perfect king, 
but also plays the role of dutiful husband doing anything to protect and and save his wife and 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 so there's so many lessons there so many noble and perfect uh qualities are embodied in all these different personalities and yeah then also we can see you know lord ram he organizes this army of monkeys headed by hanuman so and interesting you know um actually ravana's army is so much more um uh, advanced right but nevertheless you know because hanuman had that empowerment you know he could do the most amazing things and um yeah also ravana i like to really compare to hiranyakashipu you know he is really the embodiment of envy of false ego and captures the women for his enjoyment kills innocent sadhus and 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 tries to kill religiosity and establish himself as a supreme controller and enjoyer i mean that tendency in kali yuga demon and devotees and the one heart you know so sometimes when we hear these pastimes about hiranyakashipu or ravana we think oh okay they're big demons thank god you know they're not around today or something but no they are around today and they're in our very hearts you know so actually all these pastimes they're about us yes not just some interesting stories about some somebody else there but no they're actually um about us really yeah so um yeah back to the monkeys um hanuman he was just so empowered by his surrendered and determined service attitude and we also actually can get you know one little drop of empowerment um if we just manifest that service attitude you know that is also an interesting a uh, point then in regards to false ego that a devotee and a non-devotee they have very different attitudes of the path to success that a materialist his his motivating force is false ego i want to become this i want to become that you know i want to become a successful preacher and 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 that's his motivating power his drive you know whereas a devotee path for a devotee to success is very different a devotee simply meditates on serving i want to serve i wish i could somehow serve and be be an instrument in in lord chaitanya sangatan mission so the meditation is to serve and that opens all different avenues you know for success you know krishna in the heart witnesses that deep and pure desire to serve and then 
we receive that empowerment to actually do something. So it's very, very different. It's rather subtle, but there's a very different mood and attitude to success. You know? Sometimes I come across this, that young devotees, oh yeah, you know, can you give me the, the, the materials to your seminar? I will also give it, and, 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 but, hmm, you know, that's, that's the ego drive. You know, no, we actually, uh, this is not how we are meant to, um, approach, you know, spiritual life. We should simply have, cultivate the mood of service. And then proportionally to our, Service attitude and, and purity in heart, Krishna uses as, as an instrument. I mean, a, a great way to realize that is book distribution, you know? Anybody who's been out there on the street trying to distribute books, if we have that humble, prayerful mood of simply begging to serve and be an instrument in, in, in Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan mission, you know, then Krishna uses us as an instrument. But then often when we had a good day, we think, okay, Jai, I'm gonna do the same thing now, say the crack the same jokes and, and, and. You know, but then that ego motivation comes in, I'm gonna do it. And then nobody even wants to talk to us, you know, everybody ignores us and, <laughs> and we can't do anything. You know, so in devotional service, no matter what it may be, we need that empowerment actually to be successful. Not just some external abilities and, 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 you know, facilities or whatever, you know, but that empowerment is required. So in Hanuman, uh, actually, uh, shows that, you know, that even though he's in a monkey's body, so he is, uh, you know, empowered to do the impossible type thing, you know. And we can say Srila Prabhupada also took up that mood, like Hanuman was jumping to Lanka, Prabhupada was jumping all the way to America, and, well, he also, not wanting to be offensive in any way, but he also, Prabhupada, started definitely with an army of monkeys, you know. <laughs> we can say that, I think. There was no, no qualification there, you know. No, no. But just by, you know, Krishna's divine arrangement and Prabhupada's presence and, and, and Prabhupada was able to do the impossible, really, you know. And the devotees were so empowered to really start this worldwide Sankatai movement. Yeah. yeah, so and then also when Sita was it separated from Ram, we can also take that element that actually, yes, we are also separated from Krishna and you know, captivated and surrounded by Ravana like demoniac mentalities. Right? But Sita had that unflinching faith and remembrance and absorption into her Lord Ram. You know, and therefore she rejected all the allurements for enjoyment and, and, and even, even when it, there was, uh, a, when it was threatening to her life. Yeah. 
So in the same way, you know, we should also have that that mood, you know, that even though we are heavily surrounded by Ravana-like influences and mentalities and allurements and, and, and. But, you know, through that unflinching faith and mood of separation and absorption, we, you know, we take shelter at the Lord's lotus feet. Yeah, so in that way, Ram's pastimes, there's so many eternal spiritual principles there which always remain so relevant for us and in these modern days even more than ever. So, and yeah, to come back to the verse and purport, this envy is really the main and foremost stumbling block it's it's there because we want to be the supreme enjoyer and controller and 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 then it, interestingly envy also does not only come out towards superiors who have something which we don't have but it actually manifests in all relationships towards seniors towards equals towards juniors because it's a state of heart actually that envy you know, often we think envy is only there towards somebody who has something which we don't have. But no, it comes out through all different relationships, towards equals, towards juniors also, that we try and keep them down and, and, and. You know, so it's um, so many ways how this envy manifests in all relationships. So, and as Prabhupada is illustrating in the, in the purport, so this envy, we have to, if we really want to join, you know, Krishna's eternal pastimes, we have to uproot, we have to uproot this envy, you know. And yeah, so one way by doing that is, is discussing such pastimes of the Lord, like Lord Ram's and Getting deeper insights and understandings, and and um, yes, applying the different principles in our personal life, and and yeah, and of course, you know, Ram uh, Ram Nomi is a good opportunity to really beg and pray for you know to to Krishna for being relieved from these envious. Um, uh, tendencies and from this uh, tendency for personal ambition, you know, there's also one one letter where Prabhupada says personal ambition is the poison. So, um, and also in Nectar of Devotion, there's one powerful uh, paragraph where Prabhupada says anybody who has, who maintains this desire of wanting to become a more and more important person, either materially or spiritually, even spiritually, cannot really taste the really sweet taste of devotional service. You know? So this is very subtle, you know, this desire of wanting to become a more and more important person then 
then we are running after this ego satisfaction. We are not actually tasting the uh, relishing the really sweet taste of devotional life. So my God, when I heard that the first time, it really shook me up. I was thinking, God, you know, if I really want to taste the really sweet taste of devotional service, I'd better give up this desire of wanting to become a more and more important person. Yeah, so that's how subtle and, and hidden, you know, these aspects of envy are that we somehow uh, try and be the supreme enjoyer in, in subtle ways and controller, you know, so... Um, yeah, these things are very subtle and one has to be introspective to recognize and yes, to build a little connection to our seminar today, which we will have at two o'clock, starting at two, from two to six, without a mentor. We don't have much chance to actually make progress and recognize these things more deeply in our hearts because they're so subtle. And as long as we have material attachments <coughs> and material desires, we actually cannot really objectively assess ourselves. Our vision of ourselves is distorted. It is clouded. And we cannot really see where we are at. You know? And I find this such an important thing which I feel has not been enough recognized in our ISKCON society. You know, that the fact that just having a Diksha Guru is not enough. It's not enough to make progress. Because our Diksha Gurus we often only see them <coughs> once or twice a year. And, <coughs> and very often they have thousands of disciples. They cannot possibly know each and every disciple's personal situation in life. Not possible. Not possible. Let's be clear on that. So unless we have such trusting, well-wishing, confidential friend with a senior, with a person who is more experienced and who we want to be corrected by, you know, that's, that's one of the main elements of a sheltering relationship that we want to be corrected by this person. Without such a relationship in our life, very easily we are trapped in all kinds of ego patterns of behaviors, envious patterns of behaviors, and we don't even realize we are trapped in that. We always fall back into that. You know? And then, yeah, we, we have this phenomena, like we call, you know, the hamster wheel, you know, like a hamster and the cage has this wheel, and he's running, 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 especially at night. Hamsters like to be very active. So he's running, 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 but he's running on the spot. He's not actually going anywhere. 
And this very easily can also happen in our spiritual practice. That we are running, 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 we are keeping ourselves so busy, maybe so busy that we don't even have time to actually more deeply look within our hearts. You know, what is really going on there and what kind of Ravana-like mentalities we are uh, maintaining there or maybe even feeding. You know, these things are going on, you know. And unless we have such mentoring relationships, it is almost impossible to actually make advancement. That's what the seminar today is all about. And... Anybody who's been around for more than 20 years, I think you probably all have that observation that so many people come to devotional life and they hang around for a while, but then somehow oh, they're disappearing, fading away. You know, We have lost a lot of devotees because we have not recognized that point, the importance of mentorship. And not only should we all have a mentor, but sooner or later we should become a mentor to others ourselves and be willing to sacrifice our energy for the benefit of others, uplifting others, guiding others, sharing our life experience with others and helping them along. <clears throat> so if this is not setting in at some stage in our devotional development, our life is superficial. Our relationships are superficial. I like to call them Harry Bowl relationships. You know? Oh, Harry Bowl, Prabhu, nice to see you. Harry Bowl, how are you? Good, Harry Bowl. You know, I think we all have plenty of those Harry Bowl relationships. You know? So unless these elements of giving shelter and accepting shelter are there, our relationships are rather shallow and superficial. That's what makes a relationship deep and meaningful, that one person is giving shelter, one person is accepting shelter. That makes it meaningful. But if that's not there, hurry both relationships. You know? Such a thunderstorm on Ram Nomi. Yes, so anyway, that's um, uh, what the seminar today is all about. So please, if you have time, please come and join us. The actual total seminar is actually 15 hours. So we have only four hours, and it will only be an introduction, but hopefully it will give enough food for thought to think about it. And I have even made a humble attempt of publishing a couple of books also, which I quickly want to show just in case somebody feels inspired to get one. You know, this sheltering relationships, I only published this just a couple of months ago. This is the total seminar in book form. More complete and filed out and, 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 you know, yes. And then the other one is spiritual culture, Krishna's divine system. This is all actually about the important role we women are meant to play within human society, not only in married life or something, but within human society. 
how we women are meant to be the power of inspiration to men. Yes, the auspicious source of energy and inspiration. That's what Prabhupada says in the Bhagavatam. Yeah. And, yeah, as I said, not only in married life, but in all dealings. And how the role of woman is so important that if it is neglected or misunderstood, how human society goes down the drain, actually. And this is what we are facing in Kali Yuga. You know? Yes, yes, yes. So it gives insights into Krishna's system, spiritual culture, Vaishnav culture being Krishna's system to give stability and harmony in this world so we can wholeheartedly develop our relationship with Krishna. So it questions all kinds of modern worldviews and attitudes and and it gives us, uh, you know, insights how Krishna's system is meant to function. And at the same time, we realize, oh my God, how far away we are from Krishna's system. You know, and all our social problems we are facing, inside is gone, outside is gone. Like divorce, single motherhood, neglected children, violence towards women is com oh, completely increasing all over the world, you know. So they are all re uh, reactions for not following Krishna's system, actually. In Krishna's system, they don't have a place. And our disease is that we think our modern system is better than Krishna's system. That's our disease, actually. Yes. Yeah, so that's what this book is all about. So if you want to get one for $10 per copy, I will be so honored to put it in your hands. <laughs> huh? Ten, ten dollars. Each, each book is ten dollars, yes. Humble donation of ten dollars. Okay, so maybe we'll leave it at that. It's nine o'clock. Anybody has something to add? Some comment, some question? Hare Krishna. <coughs> So, Mataji, you spoke about you spoke about envy, and you spoke how um, you know by reading Srimad Bhagavatam, discussing Srimad Bhagavatam, the envy can be eliminated. So, when we're dealing with with anyone, and we start getting those feelings of envy, and we recognize that yes, you know, we are getting a little envious. How can we check ourselves? Mm, good question. Good question. I I always give some six steps which are very practical and they really work and we can apply them for any kind of transformational process, you know, where we want to give up certain patterns of behaviors and establish, you know, better patterns of behaviors. This is there with envy or false ego motivation and, and, and. So step number one is always hearing 
about the topic, about envy, about false ego. I've got a whole seminar on false ego. The false ego, our constant companion and troublemaker, I like to call it. And it has, has helped me a lot to detect my false ego, how it gets into my ways and, and, and. Yeah, so we have to hear how detrimental envy is. Because we like to keep ourselves in this illusion that, oh, we are good in detecting envy in other people's hearts or false ego, but we, we think, oh, it's not me, you know, no, of course not. And there is this one, this one word for word translation in the Bhagavatam where it says, Kalaha, the envious, and then Prabhupada in brackets, almost everyone. Puts, he puts that in there, almost everyone. So, I mean, almost everyone means, you know, it includes us, you know. <laughs> we are also meant with this. So, yeah, first step is always hearing about this destructive quality. And then step number two, uh, the hearing awakens us, you know, that awakens us from our coma, from our uh, deep sleep type thing. So we have to hear Ram's pastimes, you know, if we not just hear the nice story, but no, we have to take it a bit apart and go a little deeper. So hearing is step number one. Then step number two is desiring to get rid of that quality. That should be the natural conclusion of hearing about it again and again. Oh, there should be that burning desire. When will the day come when I can be free of this? There has to be some desire, you know. So then step number three, introspection and honesty. Without honest introspection, no chance, no chance. Because, you know, like false ego affects the intelligence so much that the intelligence always finds justifications why I'm wrong and everybody else is right and I'm actually uh, so good and, and, and whatever, you know. So without this honest introspection, we cannot actually really uproot these more subtle anatas. And again, we need a mentor for this to help us. So, and then if we honestly introspect, we will catch ourselves doing the wrong thing. That's already progress. Because before we were doing the same thing, but we didn't even think it was wrong. You know, so actually detecting ourselves doing the wrong thing, that's already progress. Yes. We catch ourselves doing the wrong thing. Ah, oh, again, I was, you know, uh, responding in some uh, ego way or envious way or whatever. You know? Yes. We catch ourselves doing the wrong thing. So then, Next step, number five. My question to you, what's the next step when we catch ourselves doing the wrong thing? Huh? Yes, but pray. Because these things are so deep-rooted, 
we out of our own strength, we cannot uproot envy or Ford's ego. No, no, we've been carrying this along with, you know, for lifetimes. It's so subtle, so deep rooted. We have no chance, actually. We always, you know, I mean, I think we all know this, you know, how often we try to be a better person, but whoops, we fall back into the old patterns of behaviors, you know. Not so easy, not so easy. No, we have to cry out to Krishna. We have to lament, you know, and, and, and cry out to Krishna and beg him to enter our heart and, and, and kill this demoniac mentality. Because, you know, these anatas stand for demons. And who is killing the demons? Krishna or his, his, uh, different Manifestations, you know? Yes. So we have to beg, we have to beg Krishna to help us to uproot these uh, nasty qualities in our heart. But our problem is that we still hang on to this hope that envy, false ego will give us some little satisfaction. You know, it will carry, it will bear some, some juicy fruits there. So we are not so serious in really inviting Krishna to uproot those uh, tendencies. That's our problem. You know, that's why we have to hear again and again how destructive these things are. You know? So, and if we do these last three steps, you know, we we introspect in honesty, we catch ourselves doing the wrong thing, we cry out to Krishna and, and beg, especially when we chant Japa, you know, we can cry out. I mean, Gorgavindamaj was saying, you know, an Iskon temple is a crying school where we learn to cry out to Krishna. This is actually the summum bonum of, of Krishna consciousness to take shelter, to cry out. So, I mean, here, Dallas, you've got a beautiful crying school. So let's, let's learn how to cry out to Krishna here, you know. Yes. So if we do these three steps, you know, introspection and honesty, catching ourselves doing the wrong thing, crying out to Krishna, we, we do that internal work and it's hard work. Then sooner or later we come to step number six where we catch ourselves doing the right thing. Yes. It works. Yes. Yes. That sooner or later we come in a situation where we think, oh gee, you know, a few months earlier, I would have reacted differently in this situation. But now, somehow, it just leaves me cool and, and I don't respond and, and, you know, I don't get caught up in some ego battles here or something and I can just let it go by and, and so on, you know, and I don't have this envious feeling there, oh, he's better than me or whatever, you know. So that's these six steps. You know, they, they, we can apply them in any kind of transformational internal work. And we can actually say if a devotee agrees to do these three, uh, these six internal uh, steps, this internal work, that's when we actually make advancements. You know? We usually judge advancement according to some external things of oh, getting up there in the ladder of hierarchy or how many people attend my bhakti rickshaw program or, you know. 
These are all external elements. But the real uh, progress is how much am I doing this internal work of uprooting, you know, these these tendencies for envy and 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 false ego patterns of behaviors, as Prabhupada says in the purport, you know. If this is not uprooted, we cannot go back home, back to Godhead. We have to be clear in this. You know, it doesn't matter how many amazing things we are achieving here in this world or something, but as long as we are not doing this internal work, good chance we have to do another round in the material world, you know. Yes, yes. So that's what it actually means, uh, means to make progress. When we agree to do this internal work. That is purification. You know? Yes. And I mean, we can say this is also why married life is actually such a purifying journey because there is so much opportunity, you know, for doing this internal work. Oh my God, too much. I mean, I like to call married life the battlefield for false egos, you know? Who is right? Who is wrong? Just see, I told you so. And why didn't you do like I told you? And, 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 oh my God, you know, we can waste so much time and energy with all these kind of things, you know? Yeah. And I mean, unless we agree to do this internal work, difficult to keep family life together. And we see it, you know, in our high divorce rate, 60% or something, you know, it just shows. We, we, we refuse to do this internal work. We don't stick to our word, you know, like, like Dasaras did, you know, but no, oh, it came differently than I thought it would be, and I don't like it anymore, so I quit, you know, but that's not Vaishnav mood, you know, I mean, with that attitude, we cannot call our family life an ashram, I'm sorry, you know, to actually make family life into an ashram, not such an easy thing. I only realized that also not so long ago. We take it for granted. We think, oh, well, I'm initiated where tea like neck beats. So, of course, my family is an ashram. Life is an ashram. I'm a grihasta. But no, no, no. There's so much more deeper transformation required, you know, that we transform our attitudes and expectations and desires and Oh my God, you know, oh, we're far away from it actually. Yes. Once one devotee, I've got a whole course on that too. So once one devotee was saying to me who took that course, Family Life as an Ashram, he was saying to me, actually, we are not even on the level of Grihamedis. Even in Grihamedi life, there is no divorce. And even in Grihamedi life, there's so many rules and regulations and for purification and charity and this and that, you know. So we are not even on the level of that, actually. He, he was making that comment and I thought, oh, gee, yeah, interesting thought, you know. <laughs> so, but if we would say somebody to somebody, oh, you know, maybe your life is more Guiamedi life, we would get offended. What, me? Guiamedi? Forget it. I'm a Guiasta, you know. But no, no, no to actually live our philosophy, not so easy, you know. We are, we are good in, in remembering and, and repeating our philosophy, but to actually apply it in life, we are not there yet. 
it requires systematic education and training, and this is why I made this humble attempt to to start an institute for spiritual culture five years ago. And I've got all these courses, and and and, and I want to put all these courses in book form, and and and, you know, because it requires so much training and education, you know, that we um, understand how we actually meant to live our philosophy, because it's so opposite to what is going on around us, 180 degrees opposite. So unless we have some systematic training and education, we just go with the flow. We don't make a conscious decision, you know, what kind of mood and culture we are inviting into our life, you know. Yes. So spoke about uh, mentorship. So how is the best way to get a mentor? Come to the seminar. <laughs> Please come to the seminar. I mean, because it's also uh, time is going by and I'm sure some devotees have some service to do, even though today is fasting, no breakfast. That's why I thought, all right, let me go a little longer. You know, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to jump into that topic because that either get the book or attend the seminar or best both. Come to the seminar and get the book. You know, and then then you can get a whole it's a whole systematic thing there, you know. And yeah, first of all we have to be convinced that without a mentor we cannot make advancement. You know, that's what I'm mainly going to spend today on. I have all different quotes and all different angles of vision which very clearly make this point that without such trusting, confidential relationships, we actually cannot really progress. Yes. It's upstairs from two to six. Okay? I hope it is convenient timing. I have no idea, but this is the only time we could find. Yes? And envy, contagious aspect of envy for the ego. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, terrible. So contaminating this whole debating over the internet because people are not in the mood of humble inquiry and actually finding out the truth or something. But everybody just wants to push their point across. And it's a whole ego thing, and no matter what you say, people twist it and turn it around and make a weapon out of it and throw it back at you. And it, it goes on and on and on, never ending. And it's so contaminating. Yes, you really, it's like this envy and Ford's ego, it's like a contagious disease. You catch it, you know? Yes. And as devotees, we have to be very careful not engage in these kind of exchanges, you know, which are just based on envy and, and ego and, and, and because it doesn't lead to any upliftment for nobody, you know, not, not ourselves, not the other person, not everybody who witnesses it. There's no upliftment. It, it just magnifies and increases envy and ego. 
yeah, highly contaminated. Yeah, and that's yeah going on a lot these days, you know. Yes, Pabu. If one has trouble without any fruit of desire, you mean? Without detachment. So how to get rid of the attachment to the fruit of our work, basically? Well, that's a whole process. There's no quick solution or something, you know? It's a whole process of in taking up the process of devotional life in a balanced way. It's all a question of balance. And again, to get the balance right, we need a mentor. <laughs> you know? So it's the whole process of chanting and deeply chanting, prayerfully chanting, calling out to Krishna, not just rattling something down like we discussed yesterday night in our Bhakti Viksha course uh, program. You know, the chanting has to be quality chanting and regularly hearing and associating and serving, serving the devotees. You know, often we don't realize that actually serving the devotees is one of the main secrets of success. You know, we should be almost obsessed by that thought. How can I serve and please the devotees? You know, so that makes it already clear. We, It's good to live close to the temple and the community so we can serve. If we live miles away, how can we serve the devotees? You know, not so easy. So that's why uh, very advisable to live in a community where we feel genuinely inspired to serve. And if we serve in cooperation of devotees, that's highly purifying. That really, you know, scrubs and chisels away the ego there because we have to cooperate, you know. So, and then also Krishna arranges all kinds of situations where we don't get the desired result we are hoping for, you know, and that teaches us also uh, not to be attached to the result, you know, and serving no matter what, whether it's to our liking or not, and whether things go great and the way we want it, or whether it's rough and and tough, you know, but we have to have that commitment of, of serving under the guidance of seniors and in association of devotees. So then gradually, gradually, you know, by all these different aspects of hearing and chanting and serving and regular devotee association, you know, we, we become purified, you know. Yeah, so no shortcut. <laughs> okay, so maybe we'll leave it at that one last thing. Huh? Pajalpa, yes. How we share our heart. Well, it depends a little bit, you know. If it is a problem, again, mentor. You know, we are meant to reveal our mind 
to a senior person who can actually give us the medicine, who can actually correct us, not to a junior person. Very often we do that, you know, because especially we women digest things by sharing it with others, you know, and talking about it. So and very often we have something and we, we share it with somebody junior. But that's again against Vaishnav etiquette, you know. We might feel relieved, oh yeah, I had an opportunity to talk about, so now I've talked it off my heart. But then that junior person gets that whole bucket of stuff over their head, you know, and, and, and the person thinks, oh my God, so what, what am I going to do with all this? And the, the person can lose faith in the process of devotional life if he or she sees all my seniors is struggling like this with such kind of stuff and going on in their lives, you know. Not good. And above all, they can't give the correction. A junior devotee is not meant to advise a senior. It's completely against etiquette because that cultivates a fault-finding mentality in the junior, you know, that he sees all kinds of things he should correct or something. No, no. So we are not meant to discuss personal things with juniors. And as I mentioned, even, you know, stuff that's going on above our level, we are not meant to uh, take part in, uh, you know, discussing and taking sides and who is right and who is wrong. We are meant to completely stay out of it because we don't know what is going on on senior levels. We can't judge, you know. So, I mean, if we just stick to these two rules of Vaishnava etiquette, not to get involved with things which are above our level and beyond our circle of influence, you know, then why, why getting involved? It's again, these things have envy as, as subtle, uh, motivation there that we pass judgments and we, we take the superior position there judging what is right and what is wrong. You know, who are we to judge a superior? Yes. So, that's the one thing. And then, yes, revealing our mind to a, a qualified person who can actually give a correction. But often we also like to reveal our mind maybe to an equal who's got the same problem. Just so we hear, oh yeah, don't worry, I'm also struggling with that, it's all right. You know, but that, that, that's not going to be helpful. So, you know, if we actually want to really reveal our mind and, and have some positive outcome and some purification to it, we, we have to have that trusting person in our life who, who can also be confidential. You know, where we have that faith that this person is not going to blabber it around on the, in the whole community and post it on Facebook or backstab me and give it back to me one day, what, what I'm sharing with that person. You know, but there has to be confidentiality there. And then a mentor is a person who has no other interest except my spiritual development, my spiritual growth. Such a relationship we have to have to really make progress. 
I mean, I'm with a third Dikshugu now, you know, so even all those personalities who could not maintain their sannyas and, and guru position, they all had that thing in common. They did not have such trusting, sheltering relationships in their life. You know? And even amongst godbrothers, there's always somebody who is stronger and more realized and more empowered than, than we are. You know? So we should not think, oh, they're all Prabhupada disciples, how can they be sheltering relationships? No, 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 no. If we are humble, then we will see there's always somebody who who is more realized than we are. You know? And we can take shelter. Yes. So, you know, we have lost so many wonderful devotees, even on higher levels, because we did not realize the importance of these sheltering relationships. Anyway, we discuss more at 2 o'clock. Okay, thank you very much.